Welcome to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show. Here you will find a variety of podcasts from authors, bloggers, and speakers ready to encourage you on your daily journey. I can't wait to get started. And now let's listen to today's show. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. What is creation? Did God create the world in six days and rest on the seventh? Does anyone really care? These questions and many more, including teaching tips and great resources, are presented in the Creation Science Podcast. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and it's my pleasure and honor to be your host. Some of these shows are from my Best of Creation Expos and other presentations I've completed throughout the years of teaching on this topic. I'm the owner of Media Angels, Inc., a publishing company that produces books, audios, and videos to help you and your family in your Christian walk. Check out my books and other podcasts at MediaAngels.com. To get the show notes for this broadcast, go to CreationSciencePodcast.com. And now, let's learn together. Hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this session has been recorded for the Creation Expo. The topic today is biblical creation terminology, and uh, means what? Okay, well, we're going to talk about some of the terminology that's used in the discussion between creation and evolution, and the differences. Let me tell you that I am not a scientist. I was an educator um, and uh, with a specific learning disabilities and early childhood certifications, um, an elementary ed major. However, science was not my favorite, and so when I decided to homeschool my children, it was not something I was looking forward to. So we, I always say that God has a sense of humor because here I am not only uh, producing science curriculum but also um, talking about creation, which can be very confusing when you look at it from a scientific aspect. So let's look at these words and see what we can um, get out of them and a little bit about, we're going to talk a little bit, of course, about uh, creation um, as we're discussing this and evolution because that would just help us with the definition of the word. So according to tradition, in answer to the question of what he most wanted in life, Confucius replied, I would insist on the exact definition of words. You know, and and that's true because the definition of words is very critical in conversation, and especially about origin, how the earth came to be, how uh, man was created. Evolutionists um, say that language, um, you know, is, is used the way they define it. And um, it, it, a lot of it sounds really scientific, but what really uh, they're talking about is not science, but materialism and naturalism. And again, things that can be um, looked at in nature or in the material sense, not in materialism in that, you know, greed or just wanting material things, but things that you can actually um, see and touch. So. Following um, is going to be a sample of terms that we're going to be talking about. And um, while nobody can recreate the creation of life, you know, we 
definitely believe that it is a faith process. Whether you believe in creation or evolution, they both must be taken on faith. So let's look at both of those things. I'm going to go through and do a quick definition of biblical creation, you know, and that means God created. The creator God began the world with his word, his fiat. You know, God said it and it began. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And um, evolution says change over time. It's uh, actually a two-step process that the theory of life began spontaneously on its own and Darwin's theory of simple um, life evolving into more complex is what he theorized would happen. And he also said the fossil record would substantiate that, and it really has not. Well, it's so confusing. The terminology is just so confusing. You know, what's in a word? You know, my daughter once uh, came home from college, and she said, he who defines the word wins. And that just, you know, just irritated me for some reason because that just because you've defined a word, you can define it to mean what you want it to mean, you know, and um, it is not necessarily what it does mean. Let's look at evolution. Okay, well, first let's look at creation. We're going to talk about creation science, biblical creation, and old earth creationists. And then we're going to look at evolution, macroevolution, convergent evolution, Darwinism, Neo-Darwinism, Old Earth, and theistic evolution. You know, we look at macroevolution. We first let's look at the creation portion of it. Um, when we, well, let me let me let me just back up a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. Actually, let's let's go to the the, the next. Um, let's go to okay. Let's go to creation. Um, for those of you listening to this audio, there is a handout, which obviously I'm looking at because I'm getting ahead of myself here. So um, if you would like to listen um, with the handout, you can go to the membership site and download it. Um, all right. The creation talks about God created, and he created with the word. It is a matter of faith, and the evidence points to a creator God. When we talk about creation and science, it's almost like a, an oxymoron. You can't talk about God's creation and talk about observable science. Science uh, is theoretical. It has a, a question, a hypothesis. It has um, a procedure that is used and executed uh, in order to create the experiment, a, a hypothesis of an educated guess. Uh, then you have an observation of, of the data that's collected, and um, you make a conclusion based upon your research. Science shows us either that something was as you predicted in your hypothesis or was not as you predicted in your hypothesis. And then you can make an educated um, hypothesis again about what could have happened or would have been different if you had done whatever, you know, so-and-so. Well. When we talk about creation science, we are talking about the science of origin with a creationist bent, and that is the biblical glasses that we look through. Every person who looks at creation or evolution is looking at it with their worldview. So if we are Christians, we're looking at it with a Christian worldview and saying, oh, my gosh, it's a gorgeous day. God created this beautiful day for us. Or we're looking at it with an evolutionary view, and we're saying, "Oh, it's a nice day, and um, you know, it is, you know, a beautiful day, and it's just enjoying it very much." But we don't give any 
of the uh, glory or honor to anybody as an evolutionist. You're just saying it happened by chance, you know, and it could have, and actually they could show the scientific process of it, you know, with with weather and currents and everything else. But, you know, weather really cannot be manipulated. They've tried for years to think of ways to get rid of hurricanes or tornadoes, and there's nothing that uh, stands against the forces of nature. So, you know, it just, to them, everything just happens by chance. Biblical creation uh, deals with, again, the same as pretty much as, as creation and science. It's just another way to say it. And some people say that um, they want to call it special creation, which is another word for us. And, and um, you know, and that means we were especially created by God. Macroevolution, on the other hand, has to do with large steps, major evolutionary changes. Macroevolution or microevolution is small steps, and that's considered in a line of adaptation within a species, for example, a kind of dog or a variation within a kind. Um, Microevolution would be more accurate biologically and biblically to refer to organisms as being um, in discrete groups and showing variation within a kind rather than using the term macroevolution. You know, it happens all the time, minute changes within time. There's different kinds of um, plants and different types of dogs and, you know, that sort of thing. But it's not billions of years that create this, and that's the one thing that evolution has to have is lots of time. And as one evolutionist said, you know, well, we have lots of time. Well, they may have lots of time, but uh, the evidence really doesn't point to the billions of years. Uh, Darwinism is known um, to be coined after Charles Darwin, who wrote the book Origins of of species, and um, he talked about um, huge gaps um, within uh, the the, the, micro, the macroevolution. And the, the macroevolution, not huge gaps, excuse me. He talked about macroevolution in that things uh, would change to another, started out with simple life and, and would grow. And, and, you know, Darwin wasn't the originator of this idea. It actually came from the ancient Greeks. However, it was popularized by Darwin, and it took off. And the sad thing is uh, Darwin was quoted as saying, I didn't mean to kill God. But in essence, um, the people who took his theory and ran with it have, in all senses and purposes, tried to kill God. Uh, there's other theories, the alien theory, the steady state theory, the big crunch, and intelligent design. And um, the one I want to look at is intelligent design. Intelligent design says an intelligent designer began the world. Science points to order, not disorder. Evolution doesn't make sense in regard to life beginning by accident. And for the intelligent design movement, uh, the designer could be God for Christians, aliens, or the unknown. And one of the books that started this idea was by Michael Behe, who is a Christian dad who wrote Darwin's Black Box, a biochemical challenge to evolution. Now, he says that he is still an evolutionist, and yet he looks at things and the complexity of the cell, and he just says there is no way that it, this could happen by chance. Intelligent design movement has made great strides of getting into school systems, and school systems are insisting the teaching of both um, evolution and intelligent design. However, there's not supposed to be any mention of God. Um, there have been some victories over intelligent design of ousting it from the schools, uh, very um, horribly done in many cases. Not that I think intelligent design goes 
far enough in that it still um, points to evolution that um, we evolved. However, um, I do believe it has made great inroads and opened the way um, for discussion, um, even if it's just on our side of the fence and not on the other. What is effectively happening in the American school system and in Europe, mainly in the UK, is that there is going to be a crackdown. Uh, there already is in the American public school system. If you look at the standards, the science standards, the national science standards, they have a whole entire section devoted to um, creation and how to refute creationists. Uh, recently, while um, I was um, sitting in my office, I received a text from a friend saying that the substitute teacher in her children's Christian school, science teacher, had taken a leave of absence. She had a baby, and um, a substitute teacher came in and told these kids how she had squelched creationism in, in other schools where she had taught and that she would not tolerate it. And so, you know, it's just horrible when teachers come in with this preconceived, you know, we're going to squelch it. And obviously she's done this whole little um, interactive thing that they have for free online for those who want to refute creation and what to say to those poor um, misinformed children. So um, we, on the other hand, as homeschoolers, have the ability to, to educate our children um, and we have to pray that those rights uh, remain because um, otherwise it is a very, very um, sad and frustrating time um, in the lives of the American school system to have this crackdown. Um, another uh, resource is Expelled, um, and that is a good movie that was created by Ben Stein, who is uh, a Jewish gentleman who does believe um, in evolution, but he does believe in intelligent design. And he recounts all of those scientists who have lost their tenure or their jobs based upon just discussing the option. They're not even saying that they agree with it. So unfortunately, um, there is a lot of squelching going on and not the kind that, that we would approve of. Macroevolution talks about um, you know, the major transition from one type of organism to another. And um, that means amoeba to man. You know, for example, goo to you by way of the zoo is a little coined phrase that, that people use. It also talks um, about different phyla, which is a biological category, and there's no evidence of this ever happening. No new phyla comes straight from nature. So um, again, that's something that's very far-fetched. And it's unobserved change between kinds. And that's what Darwin said, that the fossil record would show evidence. And um, I love to say the missing link is still missing. And it was the title of the first novel my daughter and I wrote in the Truth Seekers Mystery Series. And so, you know, it, it talked about finding the missing link in this novel and the outcome of the mystery where the children are up against this evolutionist who says they have the missing link. You know, there has never um, been this major evolution or macroevolution, and um, it was what Darwin claimed that would happen. And the deception comes from evolutionists that fill textbooks, news reports, peer-reviewed publications with legitimate examples of microevolution, but no examples of observed, you know, Darwinian evolution or macroevolution. And the reason they can't is because there aren't any. 
evolutionists lump everything together and call it proof of evolution. So, unfortunately, it is not proof of evolution. Um, I want to talk about convergent evolution. We don't hear this term very much. But convergent evolution is similar structures and organisms of different lines of descent. In other words, why do animals have similar beaks, bones? Um, you know, biblical answers, we come from a designer, and we call that designer God. Evolution's answer is the system evolved and parallel evolution with both evolving at the same time in the same way. You know, it's just ridiculous. There are similar structures in animals because we have a similar creator. And so um, it really doesn't stretch the imagination to believe that convergent, um, you know, convergency does happen, but convergent evolution um, does stretch the imagination. And, you know, the, the parallel evolution with it all going on at the same time is just, you know, really um, difficult to wrap my head around anyway because, you know, they they don't have any example of evolution. We might hear the word hominin, and it's the primate um, in the human family is, is what it's referred to, ape to man. You know, all evidence points that hominins are apes. Species should be labeled as such, you know, using the scientific names. However, scientists fudge the data, they fudge the terminology, they always, you know, there's big headlines, and the missing link has been found, you know, Lucy, and and all these different things that they point to, Neanderthal, um, the Piltdown Man, there's a series of, um, you know, things that have been fudged, uh, Leakey was one who fudged data. So, uh, again, it becomes confusing to the public, and um, evolutionary mentality just jumps on all of these finds. Again, I like to point out that the missing link is still missing. We don't have any transitional fossils. You know, the word evolution uh, just presupposes and presumes the evolutionary transfer from ape to man. But, you know, there's not, um, you know, the primates, um, if you look at the evolutionary tree, they veer off in one way and humans in another. So we did not evolve from apes, and that's part of the problem that, you know, Christians will say, well, they think we evolved from apes. They were both going along the same line in the evolutionary tree. You know, apes went to the left, humans evolution went to the right. However, um, there anything that has ever been shown in the fossil record um, is just, um, for example, um, you know, one of them uh, that was found was just a, a tree-dwelling ape, they said later. But when they make these corrections, we don't hear about that in the news. We only hear about it when it is, um, you know, found as a missing link, and that's what remains in people's minds. You know, adaptation um, is such a confusing word. Um, adaptation fits, you know, both, um, you know, generally and specifically um, to exploit a given environmental zone. Let me explain that. You know, there's been this um, argument going on about whether all um, evolution change is adaptive. Now, one anthropologist said that, you know, the, the massive jaw of a, of a, a ape um, could have evolved as adaptation to the diet. For um, In other words, that, you know, it had tough meat and then it, it was raw and then maybe it had slightly cooked meat. So, you know, that adaptation of the jaw is what we as humans, you know, we were cooking our food. So 
um, our ancient ancestors, and so therefore our our jaw adapted to the softer food that we chewed. Well, adaptation um, is, you know, again, it's an unscientific idea that traits are inherited by use and disuse. And we know that traits are inherited by, you know, DNA um, and chromosomes, you know, the chromosomes, I mean. And the DNA um, and RNA are factors in our, our bodies. But the chewing of meat or any other kind of food, you know, could not have anything to do with the jaw size being adapted. However, there are certain features that are non-essential, and, um, you know, we could say that these um, adapted to, uh, you know, certain genetic limits or uh, response to circumstances, but they don't result in change of a kind. You know, in other words, you know, there are different kinds of dogs and so forth, and and again, that has to do with genetic makeup and what cells were passed on, or or um, you know, chromosomes to that I mean, cells, chromosomes to that animal, and um, and how that was changed. Um, you know, how that changes the animal, or there is you know, small dogs and there's huge gigantic dogs. So there are changes within kind, but adaptation in the sense of having to do with um, evolution um, and, and the usage of something, changing it, you know, or it being just an environmental factor um, is not necessarily true. You know, we do adapt to our environment. Um, I grew up in the north and lived in Canada for a small stint three years of my life. Well, when we moved from Canada, to Florida, you can imagine how the difference in climate affected me, and I was very adaptable as a kid. So I was not, you know, as hot as my parents were. However, um, you know, within a year's time of living in the South, I had acclimated to the weather, and the next year I was freezing at the bus stop instead of wearing, you know, a light sweater when everybody else was bundled up. And they said, you know, aren't you cold? And, of course, you know, they kind of thought it was a little weird. And I said, no, why are you so cold? This is, you know, 60s is, is, you know, summer day in Canada. You know, it got to 72 in the summer, and we thought it was really hot and wanted to go swimming. Well, here's 72. We're putting on sweaters in Florida now because, obviously, I've adapted to the weather change. So, yes, while I, there are adaptations due to climate or conditions, that doesn't mean we change within a species. Okay, uh, the geologic column has caused a lot of confusion, so I wanted to cover this as part of our terminology. This is a chart that maps the order of the Earth's fossil-bearing sedimentary layers, and you know, typically you're going to see this chart, and it's going to say millions of years, even though there's strong evidence that um, within the fossils that this is just, um, you know, a, a failure of evolutionists in the interpretation of data. But they have found... Um, you know, and I've asked different scientists and will continue to ask because I've heard, yes, there's, it's a, you know, it is in one place in the world, and then I heard, no, it isn't. The, the, the geologic column um, it does not appear in its entirety anywhere. So scientists um, came up with this drawing of the sediments and putting in an age dating based on what they said um, was, were age dating methods. Now, age dating methods um, do not do a good enough job of going into the billions of years. Age dating is only good to about 10,000 years to be able to find the carbon uh, that's in all life forms. And that's what's dated, you know, the carbon-14 
uh, dating that is done, or now they call it radiometric dating. They have another type of dating they do, and there's, there's argon dating. There's a lot of different dating that they use. Um, what has been found is that the dating is only as good as the scientists bringing in the, um, the information. Um, my co-author, Joe Whitlock, um, had gone uh, to labs with um, things that she had found, and they always asked about what time frame do you think this was found in, and she would tell them, and it always came back within that, you know, give or take, you know, five or 10,000 years, which to an evolutionist is like dead on, very close. Well, the real rock layers in the order of the geologic column do not occur in the order that we see in the drawings. In fact, um, you know, creationists love uh, places like um, the Grand Canyon because some of the rock layers are actually in the wrong order. And the bulk of the sedimentary layer that was laid down uh, was formed during a single year in Noah's flood. And it can you know, be referred to as fossil-bearing sedimentary rocks or rock layers. And we see, um, rather than you know, called the sedimentary or the geologic column, and we see like huge clumps of animals in certain uh, levels of this column. And amazingly, a lot of those animals were not reputed to have lived even at the same time. So some of the geologic column um, really is um, irritating to um, some of the evolutionists as well, and especially if they're asked about the the um, you know the differences in the layers in the um, you know in, in some of the places where they're out of order. You know, a lot of times they just don't even want to answer that question. What about uh, speciation? Um, the evolution of populations or organisms within a species uh, that become distinct species themselves and can no longer interbreed. And so what happens um, is with a little bit of help, um, you know, that, that you know, certain animals are mated uh, by humans and uh, their offspring cannot reproduce. You know, evolutionary biologists have been debating this and there's been no consensus. Um, there, it's an extremely loose word uh, for species and its meaning is very ambiguous. The, danger of, of using this word is that it signifies a small step along a vast evolutionary process from one kind to another. So instead, variation should be used um, as that tells us more um, that there is variation within a kind, for example, breeds of cats, cattle, sheep, dogs, so forth. Um, Darwin discussed breeding varieties, and, um, and that was in his book, you know, The Wild Rock Pigeon. But um, he one fact that's seldom emphasized from that is that they were all merely varieties of a created kind of pigeon. You know, the 13 new species of Darwin's finches on the Galapagos Islands um, were just variations. They were not, um, you know, different types of birds. They were all birds. So um, this is the same for marine animals or, or iguanas or anything else that he talked about. Well, in conclusion, again, I could be going on um, about all different um, types of things here. Just know that, you know, do look it up, look up, a, uh, look up the terms in a reputable source if you're confused. Um, again, uh, places that I recommend are the Institute for Creation Research. That is where I go for all of the research I want to do on any of the books I write because ICR has scientific um, 
journals and scientific articles that are written, and um, it is just amazing to read these things. Um, and they publish all of these things for us to read. So that is just such a blessing um, if you can uh, support them because they are the scientific branch of all um, that, you know, every ministry talks about um, for the most part. There's a lot of others. I'm not familiar with all of them. We have a small uh, sampling in this expo of the different ministries that are coming together and um, spreading God's word. Well, evolutionary scientists, I believe, have faith in evolution, and they are not going to back down because of the lack of evidence. The bottom line is many of them, the most vocal that we hear about are atheist agnostics, um, or they're Bible believers who see evolution uh, evidence through evolution filters, and they pick and choose what to believe in the Bible. Those who believe God created the world, um, as stated in Genesis, take the entire Bible in faith. And we believe that science confirms the Bible. We are not to fear science. You know, science is observable. Nobody can has observed the beginning of, of creation. You know, when these um, evolution terms arise in conversation, you know, look at a deep, um, deeper look at what they mean, especially if you're reading them in a secular um, handbook or article or hear it on the news. Um, also, you know, ask questions because... Uh, what ends up happening um, whenever I've been in any discussion with people who hold to an evolutionary thought, they do change the topic. And uh, this happened to my daughter when she was in college, and she could actually um, talk about carbon-14 dating in a very educated manner. You know, the professor later called her um, into his office and said, you know, I can see that you're not saying, like most kids, let me send my mother in or my father to dispute this with you because I don't know enough information. She was able to handle it very, very well. So that is one of the things I would say is arm yourself with the truth. Know how to, um, you know, what these terms mean and how to um, refute them. We have a lot of wonderful uh, sessions in this audio at the Creation Expo, and, and I pray they are a blessing to you. And these sessions all bring you closer to Christ because I know they've brought me closer. Well, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about my books, go to MediaAngels.com. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Creation Science Podcast. You can find the show notes at creationsciencepodcast.com. And as always, reach out to me, Felice Gerwitz, at Felice at MediaAngels.com. Take care, God bless, and I hope you enjoy teaching your children and learning about the beautiful world that God created. Please share this broadcast with a friend, and thanks so much. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Look for the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show to keep up to date with all our wonderful podcasts. For a special subscriber printable pack, as well as all our timely freebies, join our email list on theultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. 